Welcome everybody to episode 28 of the Blue Skies Dronecast, the podcast by UAV Hub. This is a podcast for the UK drone industry, discussing everything from the UK regulations, new drones, and also speaking to you, the people within the drone industry. Presented this week by Tom Patterson and Matthew Hurst. So uh, welcome along everyone. We're back with uh, another episode of the uh, the Dronecast. Um, Matthew, how you doing? Quick uh, introduction and uh, any special news for us or, or not? <laughs> No, no special news, Tom. Just good to be here. And once again, shocked at the fact that another week has gone past. Can you believe how quickly the weeks are rolling towards Christmas? Yeah, that's it. It always feels like we're almost recording every day, doesn't it? But it's uh, it's not. It's every week, pretty much. And uh, yeah, we are getting rapidly closer to Christmas. Getting dark as well. What is it now? About uh, half past three, isn't it? So yeah, that's all all feeling pretty much like winter, like we mentioned last uh, last episode. But never mind. We'll we'll still carry on and uh, switch a few lights on, and we'll be good, won't we? I think so. Uh, yeah, awesome. So um, yeah, for this episode is uh, basically another um, FAQ episode, really. So we've got quite a lot of questions um, from uh, listeners listeners and things that people aren't too sure about and so rather than sort of interspersing them throughout all the different episodes we thought let's group them together once more and have another sort of full episode I suppose really so hopefully um, you'll all find uh, these uh, these questions and answers useful as well and that's what we uh, hopefully want to provide you uh, the listeners as well so uh, without further ado then I think what we'll do is we'll kick off with um, the first kind of uh, FAQ uh, but I suppose this one actually is following on from last week isn't it so we spoke about um, Atti mode last week and we actually got kind of a comment or a question in from um, a chap called Eric uh, talking about the episode saying it was very good, but would like more information or for us to give out more information about how to recover from losing GPS. So obviously we, we, we gave a few incentives about or a few sort of tips, I suppose, really, I should say, about how to uh, prevent that from happening. But what about if it does happen? you know, what should you do? What are the best practices? So um, I think what we'll do is obviously we've got a few bullet points here and uh, me and Matthew will kind of uh, share them between us, but uh, I'll let Matthew um, kick off. So um, what what would you say, uh, Matthew, is sort of the best or the most important thing to sort of think about if you were to lose GPS? Well, Tom, yeah, I think um, as we spoke about previously, uh, sort of preparation and being ready for it is obviously going to be crucial for a good outcome. If it happens and you've got no experience and you don't understand what's happening, then of course, uh, disaster is inevitable. So that sort of preparation <laughs> side of things that we spoke about is crucial. And I think in a sense, it's actually really nice that Eric gave us that feedback because it shows that people out there have responded and taken that on board and are thinking mm. about it. So I think potentially, this is going out on a bit of a limb, we could actually save some damage or an incident for somebody at some point in time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think it's a very important point, this for sure. Um, mm. Tom, the first point that we've got up on, on our screens is don't lose it in the first place. And perhaps you want to just expand <laughs> slightly on that in terms of what we mean by that. Yeah. So obviously, again, I suppose prevention is better than cure, isn't it? I imagine. And so what we kind of would mean by that is do as much as you possibly can to make sure that you're not going to potentially lose GPS through um, a problem or a fault of your own, I suppose, really. So we can actually jump down the list, actually, to the to the last one, actually. And I think I would say that the biggest thing to do, uh, and I think this actually cropped up last week, I think, actually on our Facebook group. And uh, uh, I think a, a police officer with a drone actually had an issue and, and had an accident purely because of what we're just about to explain. And the first point really is don't rush the takeoff. So even though you can switch your drone on in you know five seconds and probably start the motors and fly, it doesn't mean that you should do because obviously if the drone hasn't been started um, at all in that location, it's got to sit there for a number of 
I would say almost minutes sometimes, you know, to get a very good lock, uh, to actually gather the satellites and to update its location from where it was last switched on. So if you don't let it do that, it doesn't know where it is. So instantly, uh, if you are going to rely on the return to home, it, it won't come back home because it doesn't know where home is. So that's the first issue. And obviously then, if uh, you take off and you don't have a GPS lock, you're going to be in that non-GPS mode straight away probably as well. So the drone's going to be really difficult to control. You'll probably panic, you'll have problems, and you know it's only going to get worse. Uh, I don't quite know what happens when it then does lock onto GPS. I imagine then it creates that as its home point. So that could be you know, 20, 30 metres away, couldn't it, Matthew, I guess? Is that kind of how you think it works? Yeah, I think probably there's a couple of variables between different systems because, uh, interestingly, mm. this specific incident wasn't with a DJI aircraft, which, of course, is the, the sort of range that most of us are most familiar with and that I think probably most of the listeners are flying. So one yeah. would need to understand what the system's going to do, but certainly you should just avoid that situation in the first place. I mean, there's mm. no question about it that however rushed you are, even in, in that case, if it was an emergency incident that they were responding to, there's still a certain amount of time that these things take and you can't just ignore those procedures you need to stick to the procedures that you've worked out yeah exactly and there's nothing wrong with you know booting up the aircraft and then running through all the other checks that you need to be doing while it's kind yeah. of warming up as well that's another way if you do need to get in the air quickly then you know almost turn the drone on obviously once you've done the sort of the more dangerous checks i suppose which mean the aircraft or which should really have the aircraft switched off while doing uh, those certain checks but then at least in the background it can be gaining everything all this all the sort of the uh, the calibrations all the uh, uh, gps satellites etc uh, and yeah. then you should be able to take off um, fairly successfully yeah, and of course sort of a final confirmation of that calibration mm. and connectivity before you actually initiate the takeoff itself yeah, that's it. And you can actually have a look on the map, can't you? That's normally a good trick. And uh, if your little triangle is where you expect it to be, then that's a good sign that the drone knows where it is properly as well. It's another another sort of little tip there too, which is good. Uh, so yeah, that's the first point. So yeah, so don't lose it in the first place. That, that'll help, I think, that side of things. Obviously, if it still happens, which, you know, it is possible, you can still lose GPS, you know, under a tree canopy or a GPS anomaly, I suppose, could also happen too. The best thing to do is to try and get the air aircraft orientated away from you okay so whichever way it's pointing you want to spin it around and get it to face the what we would call 12 o'clock i suppose wouldn't we matthew it's sort of the uh, yeah. the easiest orientation because then left is left right is right forwards and backwards all make sense and hopefully then you can regain control of the aircraft so i would say yeah get it round to the exact position you want and hopefully you can see sort of the uh uh well actually yeah it could be a yellow flashing light couldn't it? actually you know that'll be kind of the indication that a it's in atty mode but b for dji drones obviously uh but b the rear of the aircraft is now facing you and some people put more lights on a certain side of the aircraft just so they can orientate themselves better as well don't they Matthew too yeah that's right I would certainly agree that getting it turned around to as you described at the 12 o'clock position is really a fundamental first step that should that you should be focusing on even if it's drifting a little bit that's going to be absolutely crucial because mm. I think even the most experienced pilots the guys who are very capable in ATI you're still putting the aircraft in a position that is instinctively natural for you and you won't then continue to make mistakes in terms of sort of the inputs that you're giving uh, particularly if the uh, visual line of sight isn't great if you're at relatively long 
long distance, uh, mm. then of course you're just going to keep things as simple as possible. And obviously the priority is simply to get the aircraft back safely. You're not trying to continue with the job or get the shot that you were aiming for. You're just getting the drone back safely. So yeah, that orientation is an absolutely crucial step for sure. Uh, obviously it's really important not to panic as well. So small control mm. inputs, just feeling your way around uh, as soon as you've got that orientation and you know which way the drone's pointing to start with. Um, yeah, I think with that sort of combination of thought process and sort of planned out uh, sort of procedure to follow, you've got a very good chance of getting yourself back safe if you've had some experience and practice beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the small stick movements is a big thing too, because if the drone's a bit further away than you're expecting, when you do do a movement, it won't look as though it's really happening. So you'll put more input in and obviously then you'll start to see it moving, but by then it might be moving very quickly. And then obviously that'll lead to more problems as well, especially in the non-GPS mode. So that's it. Try and do little stick movements just to initiate a little wiggle or something, just so you can understand which way the aircraft is, you know, even go up as well. That's another way maybe of actually recovering potentially too, you know, getting out of harm's way, depending on where you're flying yeah, as well. So yeah. yeah, potentially buying yourself a little bit of, of visual line of sight time if mm. the aircraft's drifting away and it's uh, like the other example that we used in the case study where it went behind a line of trees. If yes. that aircraft had raised in height, then they would have had longer to figure out what was going on. So yeah, that's certainly mm. a good tip. And the other thing I would also suggest is when you're doing those control inputs to orientate yourself and make sure you know where you are, is use one axis at a time. So I wouldn't sort of stir yeah. the pot as <laughs> with the stick, if I can describe it that way. I would just give left-right roll controls, for example, and make sure that you can see the direction the aircraft's moving rather than confusing yourself further by using all sorts of inputs. Yeah, that's it. And obviously this is all made much easier uh, if the aircraft is within visual line of sight. That's another reason why we say keep it within visual line of sight because then at least you'll see what the aircraft's doing and you'll get control of it much, much more quickly than if it's a little dot on the horizon and you've probably got no chance of recovering that then because you just won't know which way it is pointing and you'll make it worse and potentially, you know, have an accident. So yeah, keep it closer uh, and uh, yeah, be prepared uh, and actually another quick thing before we move on actually is as you're flying just think to yourself right what would I need to do now to recover if I was to lose you know GPS mm -hmm. like that and if you're always thinking about that you know eventually if it does happen you don't have to suddenly work out what to do because you're almost semi thinking about it anyway which is good yeah. too so perhaps yeah. a, perhaps a very good time to keep that in the back of your mind is when you're busy with automated flights and you aren't actually manually flying it because it's mm. quite easy to become complacent and look away yes. and uh, have a look at the scenery while the aircraft does its thing because it's so clever but actually that's <laughs> one of the most crucial times for you to be watching yeah that's it because you never know when you're going to have to take over and it could be at any point and any orientation couldn't it as well exactly so, yeah, it's uh, very difficult <laughs> cool so hopefully that clears up that last little bit of the uh, the sort of the non-gps flying and uh, hopefully a little bit uh, more more wisdom as well hopefully too which is always good uh so next topic then is uh are motor covers uh, a good idea so this is something that uh, has popped up a few times obviously I think if you go onto any uh, website like uh, Amazon or eBay and you put in you know so-and-so accessories you know drone accessories these will pop up a lot I think won't they and uh, are they a good idea so I guess the short answer is um, they're okay but do they actually really help anything I would probably say not really it's uh, another way for a company to make a little bit of money by kind of scaring people into thinking that you know something could happen and I would say uh, modern motors these days are all all well all the important parts are sealed and coated so there's obviously going to be holes in the motors for ventilation but the bearings are sealed uh, the, the the copper coils are all coated in a, a epoxy I think it is pretty much so they they won't rust or uh, get any 
any problems with them. So the motor is pretty much fine, but if you want to put caps on to prevent dust entering while it's in your bag or something, then it's not a bad idea. Is that sort of the same for you, from you, Matthew? Yeah, you've literally just used a line that I had queued up in my mind was, Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that they're a great idea, but they're certainly mm. not a bad idea. So mm. as you've said, I think in most cases, nine out of 10 guys carry their drone in some kind of protective case or bag. So effectively, the entire drone is protected from dust and so on until mm. you actually take it out and set it up ready to fly, at which point you'd be removing the covers anyway, which incidentally is yeah. crucial. Don't leave them yes. on while you're flying because, of course, you'd minimize airflow through the motor and it could potentially overheat. But uh, mm. yeah, so I think they're sort of unnecessary, but who doesn't like a gimmick? So if you get a nice set that look good and fit nicely, then they certainly shouldn't do any harm. That's it. Hopefully we've not spoiled uh, anyone's Christmas present as well, actually, because it's about the right sort of price, I imagine, isn't it? For, for that possibly, type of yes. stocking filler. Yeah, exactly. And obviously the last point is if motors needed covers, you know, DJI would supply them, wouldn't they? You know, I think that's it. They do millions of pounds worth of um, sort of research and development. And if they thought that was even a remote possibility they would probably supply them with the aircraft at a yeah. you know a times 10 price as well <laughs> of course that's it and of course the gimbals come with protectors and supporters yeah. and covers and so that's on true. so that's a good example of the fact that they have the ability and the thought process mm. to be able to produce these things so why yeah. wouldn't they yeah that's right yeah they haven't just thought oh damn yeah we should have we should have produced some of those that was a great idea damn yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it so yeah so that's uh, that's our our take i suppose on uh, motor covers okay uh, the next one is um, what's the best way to discharge um, a DJI battery? So that's the uh, the next point that we're going to cover. Uh, and obviously, to, before we start, this kind of varies uh, from model to model. So we talk about DJI aircraft, obviously, most of the time because most people fly those. Uh, but there are other models available and um, other models might not have certain abilities. So it's always best to check the instructions just to double check kind of what features your aircraft has and, uh, you know, what it might not have either. OK, so that's the most important thing. And obviously, the reason behind discharging a battery, you might think, what's the point? You know, battery needs to be charged. So I can use it if you're not going to fly then keeping your battery fully charged uh, will increase the degradation on a battery so like we've kind of alluded to before batteries are happiest realistically at about 50% charge which is about 3.8 volts per cell if you're looking at a cell voltage so the longer you keep them at 3.8 volts per cell the longer the battery will last uh, or the longer life the battery will have over over the term term of ownership, I suppose, is the idea. So uh, obviously we can't always keep it at 50% because you'd get about, um, I don't know, 10 minute flight time, wouldn't you, I suppose, if it was always at 50% and lower. Um, so the idea is to obviously um, store the batteries at this uh, sort of storage voltage, it's called. So um, a couple of points then, and they'll kind of start from easiest down to, you know, the, the most sort of faffy, if you want to call it like that. So the first one I would say is just finish your flight a little bit earlier. So if you've charged all your batteries up, go out for a flight, you know, why not land if you've got several batteries at about 50%, you know, that way you've, you've used all your batteries. Let's say you've got three, you know, you've brought them all down to 50% and you can pack the drone away and forget about it until next time. That's probably what I would do if I had more than one battery. Um, so finish the flight a little earlier and keep your batteries kind of at that 50% until you need to charge them again. They've got no memory effect as well. So before people kind of say, oh, but then they'll only think they've only got 50% sort of, you know, capacity that, that that's a, an old 
myth that used to be apparent, I think, on... Is it the... Uh, God, I'm going to forget the I name. I think nickel metal hydrides That's uh, right. were most common for that. Yeah, yeah that, they did have the memory effect, didn't they? I remember that. Yeah, yeah so these don't. So don't, don't be worried about that mm. at all. Batteries won't mind. Um, what about uh, any other points there, Matthew? What do you reckon? So, yeah, there's a couple of other ways of looking after the batteries um, other than actually flying the aircraft is, of mm. course, if, you've, if you have flown and the batteries are discharged, when you charge them, you can, of course, stop the charge prematurely before it fully peaks. Um, so yeah. when the third light starts flashing, generally speaking, if we're talking about batteries that have four lights on them, just as the third light starts flashing, that's an indication that you've gone beyond the 50% charge mark. Mm. And that's probably a good idea to, to disconnect them from the charger at that point. Because as you've said, it's not absolutely crucial as in in terms of where they should be stored anywhere around half charged is drastically better than fully charged or yeah. fully flat so that's exactly. a good indication i mean if you really wanted to you could connect it to the aircraft to get a better sort of reading from the telemetry and know where they are but i don't think it's yeah. crucial to be that certain of that for sure exactly yeah so that's it so obviously again not as ideal maybe as as you'd like because obviously normally the batteries stop charging and you don't have to sit there waiting for them to get to a certain sort of state but again it's better for the battery in in the long run if you can unplug it and then obviously before you fly the next day or you know if you're going to fly the next day plug them back in, let them charge to 100 and then and then use them when you need to. That's what I would say. Yeah, so just a tiny bit of extra expansion on that, Tom, of course, uh, is that for batteries that don't have the self-discharge functionality, that's probably the best way to look after them. So if we go back a mm. couple of generations, Phantom True. 2s, Phantom 3s, that's probably the best way to look after them because they don't have the capability to self-discharge, which is the mm. next point that we're going to discuss briefly. So I think I'll roll straight into that one if you're happy yeah. with that, Tom. So self-discharge is, of course, a function which DJI have introduced uh, some time ago now, but most of the aircraft do have it now, whereby the batteries automatically discharge themselves from fully charged down to that optimal range uh, and, and keep themselves at that level. Now, of course, this doesn't just happen 10 minutes after you've charged them, there's a time that you need to set within your controller's app or within your DJI app um, to be able to determine how long it takes for that to happen. And of course, that'll depend a little bit on your circumstances. So if you're planning a flight and you're preparing the aircraft uh, a day ahead of time, you don't want them to start discharging straight yeah, afterwards. Right. So you would then have it set for, say, two or three days. Uh, mm. And if the flight doesn't go ahead and is um, delayed due to weather, etc., then of course the right thing will happen. The batteries will discharge back to their storage voltage uh, and they'll need to be topped up again before you head out. Um, so yeah. that's that's a really great function. But do go into your app and check what the settings are at. I mean, the default settings normally make sense, but it will depend on your, on your circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think a happy medium would be about three or four days. You know, if they're at 100% charge for half an hour, you know, that's fine. You know, a day, that's probably also fine in the grand scheme of things. But obviously, for, for most people and for the most convenient way uh, to do it, I would say, yeah, four days, probably. If you're not flown before the fourth day, then obviously then they'll start to discharge, which is, you know, sort of a, a good amount of time, I think, for, uh, from yeah. my point of view, too. Um, so if you don't have this discharge function, you know, what's the quickest way of discharging the battery um, sort of manually, then, I suppose? And I would say, uh, first of all, the quickest way of doing it is just to hover the aircraft in the garden. If you've got the ability, um, and obviously you can do it legally as well, obviously we should say that, then hovering the aircraft in the garden and we'll bring it down within, you know, sort of 10 or 15 minutes, won't it, down to a, a more sensible voltage, which is uh, good. I saw something uh, a few years ago, actually, um, uh, and they were basically 3D printed propellers, but they were reverse pitch propellers. So 
the idea there is that you take off the normal propellers, put on these 3D printed reverse pitch propellers and actually idle the aircraft inside. Uh, and then obviously the force acting on the motors will generate more current draw, which means the battery will discharge a little bit quicker than if you were just to run your motors with no propellers on at all. That's the idea. And obviously the aircraft will get sucked to the ground a little bit, so it shouldn't be too dangerous. Obviously we've got to just double check with people that, you know, this is probably the more dangerous way of doing things. You've still got spinning bits of plastic going around, so just be careful. But you could do that if it was raining outside or or, or you weren't able to fly in your garden, I suppose. That's uh, another thing to point out there. So yeah, have a look at that. If, if they're still available, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure now. Uh, and the, the last way, and probably the slowest way and the, 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 the least convenient way is to just turn your aircraft on uh, and then leave it for, you know, three or four hours. That will probably drain out 10% of the battery, maybe, if you're lucky. And at least then that's better than it being absolutely fully charged. You know, anything under 100% is better than 100%. That's the idea. So, uh, yeah, leave the aircraft switched on. Running the motors with nothing, it's almost not worth it, is it, I don't think? Yeah. No, I think the current draw is so, so low. Obviously, the motors are super efficient and until you yeah. load them with the with the uh, drag of the propeller then they're hardly drawing any current so I agree mm. with you just leaving it turned on makes sense but don't yeah. forget about it and let them run totally <laughs> flat because you'll find yourself in, in a different problem then of yeah, course yeah that's it and hopefully nowadays with the drones with their fans and their noise it'd probably be hard to do that but you never know you could forget so yeah, uh, yeah. set a timer you know four or five hours then switch it off and uh, that's probably uh, the, the least you could do, I would say, if, if your batteries don't self-discharge. Uh, and the last thing, actually, I, I suddenly thought about is actually now most batteries or some of the smart batteries, I, I should say, will have an adapter that kind of makes them into a uh, sort of a portable battery charger. So you could charge your phone up instead. That would uh, pull out a bit of energy from the battery, which is great. Yeah. Or if you've got a battery bank or an LED light or something, you know, plug that into the adapter and that'll bring down the battery charge relatively quickly actually i would say too which is good so yeah lots of different options i think and uh be creative i, should, I suppose we could say <laughs> and uh, get the battery down to like i say yeah about about the 50 percent and uh then they'll be happy for months on end actually as long as you keep checking them just in case they haven't sort of discharged any more themselves too but yeah i think that's all of that slide covered do you reckon matthew Super. Yeah. Just on a, on a personal note, the, the, the last point that you've just used actually saved me from my phone running flat and not having GPS to get home some time ago. So I actually <laughs> used a DJI battery because I didn't have a car charger on me. So yeah, uh, it does great. work. Yeah. I can say from mm. experience. It's a really good idea, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I think they, they were clever to sort of bring out these adapters to do that because we've all got something we could charge pretty much every yes. day, haven't we, really? So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Cool. Very good. Okay, then. So uh, uh, different topic now, really, entirely, I suppose. Uh, and this is all to do with um, flight planning. So what is the best type of flight planning software we've been asked before? So obviously, at the moment, um, the easiest way, I guess, is to just use the templates that we provide. Um, when you go through our course, you know, that's the sort of the, the cheapest and the easiest way, I guess, to get people started. But obviously, there are other options. And the most talked about option, I would say, is uh, something called Drone Desk. Okay, so if you do a Google search for Drone Desk, it will be the first hit pretty much. And it's effectively electronic flight planning. Um, so just before we start, we're not affiliated with Drone Desk at all. Me and Matthew, I don't think I've even used it. I haven't used it. Have you used it, Matthew, at all? No, I've also not used it myself, no. No, so this is just going by students and the amount of students that have used it and what they say about it effectively. Yeah, so it looks feedback, very good, yeah. though, from what I've seen. And I've just watched a quick demo video of it all. And uh, it probably would be the way I would go, essentially, because it keeps everything all in one place and uh, again if you need to 
uh, find the paperwork. It's not, you know, stored away somewhere in a cupboard. You know, it's all just on a web app, basically. So you can access it on your phone and your tablet and your computer probably too. So it makes it nice and simple. Uh, and it basically takes care of everything you need. So the on-site and pre-site surveys, it'll help you with their um, flight logging as well. I think that almost happens automatically. If you use your DJI login, it kind of pulls that uh, information automatically across over to uh, another kind of spreadsheet which is really handy I think almost alone I would probably have it for just that side of things actually <laughs> thinking yeah. about it um, also got checklists as well so your pre-flight checks uh, and maintenance uh, reminders and checklists too um, what, what, what else does it help you with Matthew? So yeah as you say it really is a full flight planning uh product so it'll mm. help you with risk assessment as well that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit later as well yeah uh, you can even work with things like pre-flight checklists and so on as well and mm -hmm. of course also airspace checks which is a very very crucial factor yeah. that's one of the main things to be aware of <clears> as an <throat> operator of course um, these platforms aren't free unfortunately but i think they are reasonably priced i think there's sort of a range of different options if i'm not mistaken tom yeah. starting at sort of five pounds or so if i'm not mistaken yeah that's it, £5 a month, I think it kicks off with. I think you get a, a free trial as well. So it's all good to just go over there and have a quick uh, try it out for 30 days, I think it is. And if you like it, cheapest option, I think it's £5 a month. Obviously, the more you pay, the more is probably uh, unlocked, I, I imagine, like that. So it's uh, probably worth a look. And I would say, yeah, judging by how many people use this software, I would say it probably is the best planning software, I imagine, that's out. But it is, my, or I should say, it might be worth a Google just to see if there are other sort of platforms or companies that are doing this too. But I have heard of any personally so i i doubt there's many as well so yeah so i think just a slightly sort of a sideline in parallel to this is also one to mention that i think is exceptionally good and this i have worked with a little bit is mm. air data i think the data collected there is very very valuable outside ah. of just sort of the planning aspects i think you can really sort of monitor your aircraft's performance over a period of time uh, and sort of be able to see exactly what you've done and how it's affected the aircraft over time so oh, okay. air data is exceptionally good Great. Yeah. Okay. So that's another possibility too then. So uh, yeah, we're, we're happy to take feedback on uh, this subject really. So if you want more information about Drone Desk, you know, perhaps we can reach out to uh, the chap who kind of invented it and uh, maybe even get him on the podcast for an interview and stuff like that. You never know. So uh, yeah, feel free to kind of uh, get in contact with us uh, at dronecast at uavhub.com. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Probably won't be before Christmas, but uh, yeah, at some point next year, we could always do that as well. But uh, yeah, definitely worth a look there. I think um, as well so uh, yeah what's the next one Matthew? Uh, moving on to the next uh, topic that we're going to talk about here, we're going to be talking about getting more drone work. And this is a very common one that gets mm. raised regularly. Of course, everybody in the commercial space is uh, trying to find their little niche and find ways to make mm. their uh, business grow and be as effective as possible and put themselves out there. So there's a lot of ways of going about this. But I think one thing that I've I, I learned a long time ago, and I think is very, very valuable to remember, is that people buy from people. And that sort <laughs> of... Uh, a business tip across the board. So mm. if you present yourself well and you are somebody that's able to share your information well and sort of capable, then I think uh, you'll be in a better position than somebody that just has the services available but doesn't have any personal ability. So I think that's a crucial factor for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, sort of the first major point as well, really. And it's being um, active on uh, sort of LinkedIn and social media and things like that. And that's what we normally kind of start with, because it's 
sort of almost the the cheapest option and and the easiest option as well so being active on those platforms adding different drone pilots you know uh looking at kind of what other people have been doing and sort of you know giving them the thumbs up and just just being just having a presence i guess on social media is really important because it keeps people uh, or it keeps you in people's minds you know if you're constantly kind of there kind of in front of them uh, and sort of being talked about i suppose as well so uh, that's uh, sort of the first point or the first uh, major point i guess too um uh, the, the next one kind of similar and it's starting to think about maybe having some sort of website or even a, a social media business page i suppose as well uh, that's uh, another good point you've got people uh, or you've got places to direct people if they're, if they're interested in what you're doing. Uh, and it just makes you look a little bit more professional as well. You know, most people will have some sort of website these days, so it's always good to do that. And that'll draw in more traffic as well to, to help you uh, gain more customers too. Um, the other one I'll talk about too uh, is a showreel. So uh, again, if you haven't got a showreel, really important because if someone comes up to you and they say, I've heard you've got a drone, you know, what can you do? If you start to uh, describe what you do it, it might be difficult to kind of relay that type of work you know in in word format so if you can just quickly send someone a link to a you know a, a quick one two minute video of the shots you can do with your aircraft then that's you know uh, really important i think really and uh, the key here is not to make the show reel too long we've seen so many videos of people um you know with uh, sort of show reels 10 15 minutes and unfortunately people probably will uh, you know uh, you'll you'll lose their interest and their attention span isn't that long unfortunately unless they're really into drones so keep it nice and short uh, and a uh, 2 minute um, showreel will be perfect I think realistically too so uh, yeah what what else Matthew what have you got down there yeah so I'm jumping down the list slightly I think it sort of links to the point that you've discussed is uh, the potential to build a portfolio is better if you do a couple of free jobs and you've got to be mm. a little bit careful of this because of course we don't want everybody running around giving free jobs and nobody <laughs> making any money out of the industry but I think it gives you the opportunity to first of all practice your skills and as you say, put together a good little uh, show reel, um, mm. but also at the same time, if you've done a good job and you're able to produce what that person was looking for, they may give you referrals, but also in the next season, they may call you back to come and reshoot for them. So I think that mm. sort of repeat business is also important uh, and being able to uh, sort of build a following over a period of time uh, by proving yourself is very important as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, another thing to mention is um, utilize uh, friends and family as well. And it's interesting that if you start to explore those avenues, so if you, you know, make your family and friends aware that you've now got a drone and you can do drone footage, you know, you suddenly might have an uncle who's an estate agent or you might have someone who's in the film industry that you never knew about. And actually then um, we've often said this and it, it is probably about 75% of who you know rather than what you know in this industry with a lot of it uh, and you're more likely to get a job for someone that you already know than to just sort of turn up out of the blue uh, on someone's doorstep so really do leverage you know friends of friends and family and, and you never know what you might come across actually and it might be that sort of in that you potentially need as well which is sort of the, exactly. the crucial one isn't it Matthew? <laughs> for sure yeah just that first step and once you've sort of got that snowball rolling then of course mm. there's every opportunity every sort of potential for growth from there. Yeah exactly right yeah and just basically the the last sort of point here is just to um think creatively i suppose really you know try and put a drone into an industry that might have not actually 
had that type of exposure yet or, or something like that you know try, try and think of a little niche because uh, that's always a, a very good way of kind of getting your uh, your shots and your knowledge out there I suppose really similar to the chap we had on uh, in episode 18 actually um, Tristan Wallace if you haven't heard that episode go back and have a listen he kind of started off and uh, that snowball did grow very quickly didn't it actually Matthew I think which is good and uh, he gave uh, a few tips there of how that kind of happened too so it's just about yeah. having as many avenues to explore as possible you know it's almost like uh, you know that phrase of you know if you throw your net out as wide as possible you know you, you'll get something at least you know and then you can kind of start to pick exactly where you want to go with things so uh, yeah that's the idea put out as many feelers as possible and hopefully you know stuff will start to roll in uh, and it'll get bigger and bigger as you yeah that's right um, you, you mentioned Tristan there and I think somebody else that was on uh, quite early on in the podcast was mm. Stacey Dix I think is her surname yeah. Stacey Dix yeah she's also an example of where she's combined skills she's uh, I can't quite remember exactly what her uh, profession is called but she no. does traffic surveys if I'm not that's mistaken right. mm. uh, well that's what she does I don't know what they call it um, <laughs> but yes yeah, so and she's brought drones into that industry and she's doing exceptionally well with that so she's yeah. another example of somebody who didn't just go out and try to take pictures but used it in an industry where it hadn't been used before to my knowledge yeah exactly and like I've said before if you can save someone money and time they will probably bite your hand off but it's just getting to that point and showing them that you can do that and that's the hardest thing so once you get around that then then you're almost home and dry actually so yeah have a have a think as is something else that you could do too. see see what you can come up with um okay cool there we go that was a, a nice uh, nice one to go over there uh, we've got another subject now um so this is kind of uh, yeah sort of <laughs> the horrible side of, of, of the industry, I suppose, really, isn't it? So we better go over this because it is useful and it does happen sometimes as well. So how to handle uh, a difficult customer uh, while flying. So obviously this can be quite awkward because obviously you're in the moment, you're controlling an aircraft and then you've got an awkward client or a passerby uh, and you know, you've got to then take your attention off the drone, which makes it more dangerous to, to try and placate these people. So um, the first thing I think we'll sort of uh, talk about is, um, again, prevention, because that's our secret weapon, isn't it, for most things. If we can prevent this happening, then we're we're almost there. So try and preempt the problem. Uh, and the easiest way to do this is have a very good kind of briefing uh, and uh, ask the client or the crew if they've got any questions once you've done the briefing as well. That way, if there's any kind of uh, sort of problem or uh, anything you've got a chance to kind of squash them before you actually fly the aircraft so that's the first thing good confident briefing explaining everything and then asking if there's any questions answering the questions and hopefully you're halfway there with any sort of awkward moments then while you're flying so that's the first point I suppose so uh, yeah what's the next one Matthew what do you reckon so I think I'll also just expand slightly on that first point uh, what's also important to discuss with a client is what they want from you in, oh, true, in yeah. terms of what it is that you're trying to shoot so don't sort of get them everybody safe and the area prepared and then take off and then start thinking about what no. shot you're aiming from uh, it's important to understand and that's a that's an easy one to miss uh, in terms of not understanding what it is that the client wants and that's when they yeah. will become difficult because they're looking for a result and you're not giving it because you didn't have the information beforehand. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I think we get that, well, I get that on a regular basis, actually, when we're doing flight tests. I think the hardest part of the flight test for an examiner is to explain to a student how to do a figure of eight 
in the opposite direction. So many sort of communication breakdowns there. And it's while they're flying, they don't get what you mean. And, you know, you can sometimes waste a couple of minutes trying to get get the person to fly the figure of eight in a different way. And that could have been sorted out on the ground, you see, if that was an actual job type of thing. So that's a sort of a, yeah, a bit of experience there. So, yeah, go over as much yep. as you can uh, before the aircraft is in the sky. Yeah, that's good. Um, so let's say you did all of that, um, but you've still got an issue while the drone is flying, the best thing to do is just to say, okay, yep, I can hear you, hang on a minute, I'm just gonna land the aircraft and then we'll resolve the issue. So there's no point in trying to talk while you're flying uh, or argue while you're flying, you know, that is, isn't gonna end well. So just politely say, we'll have a chat in a, in a you know, 10 seconds, just let me get the aircraft on the ground safe and then we'll have the chat. I think that's the best way to kind of cope with any problems actually with regards to people, isn't it, Matthew? Yeah, that's right. Keeping calm and staying focused is key to doing a safe operation, mm. irrespective of, of where you're flying, whether it's in the middle of a farmer's field or in a built-up area. As the pilot, that's your responsibility is to keep that aircraft safe. So as soon as you're distracted, immediately there's a compromise. So I would say make that call pretty early, land the aircraft very early on in that discussion, resolve the issue, and then relaunch from there. It could be frustrating. It may mean that you use an extra battery and you're there a little bit longer, but it's a lot better than ending up in a, in a bad incident or, or doing some harm to something else or, or your aircraft for that matter. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. really important also when you're resolving these things is not to end up in a big argument and have a shouting <laughs> match about it. You need to resolve these things. And obviously, there's it normally stems from a bit of miscommunication. Uh, potentially, you did also mention people other than the client. It could be somebody unhappy about what you're doing there. And of course, we've spoken about it before, that really what you want to try to get over is that you're a professional and you're there for a reason. You're not just spying on people as we're often <laughs> accused of and that sort of thing. So just that good communication is going to be key. And you're not able to do that while you're focusing on the aircraft so get it on the ground safely and then handle the situation from there yeah exactly yeah it doesn't want to it doesn't want to start you know becoming a shouting match because obviously then you look really unprofessional and then it just all starts yeah. to go downhill very quickly so yeah that's exactly right um the other thing you can do obviously again having done quite a few jobs on set and on you know film sets etc um the worst thing that can happen is if the director or someone starts to ask you to do different flight maneuvers that maybe haven't been agreed before you took off or that aren't safe and aren't legal. And you know, that does happen. And I have had firsthand of that happening. And obviously you're put in quite a difficult situation. You know, you're there to kind of do what you're told, but also at the same time, making sure that what you do isn't safe, or sorry, isn't unsafe because the people that ask you might not know the rules and regulations very well. So that, that can happen. So the best thing to do there, again, is not to just say no and just, you know, say, don't be stupid, you know, this is ridiculous. Again, just be nice and calm and just always fall back on the safety elements. That's always what I used to say. I used to say, well, actually, no, that shot is outside of the regulations. That wouldn't technically be safe. And actually, we wouldn't be insured if we did do that type of flying. So that normally makes them then think twice about them uh, or, or about you, you know, flying their very expensive camera to 800 feet and then down again very quickly or something silly that they might ask you because of the insurance side of things. So always fall back on safety and say it's not in the risk assessment. You know, it's not, we're not insured if we do that. And that normally then helps to sort of uh, placate them and sort of they do tend to back, back down and the best thing to do is then land and offer up another type of shot instead so don't just go no I'm not doing that and then land and you know go home <laughs> if you then say we can't do that but what about if we do this instead it'll be very similar but much safer and that normally tends to help people uh, kind of understand the safety element of flying these aircraft and you normally get more respect afterwards actually having gone through that way of doing things too. 
I was just about to comment on that, Tom. I think mm. um, what you're talking about is sort of proof of your professionalism and your experience and the way that you handled that situation. Because mm. you and I have spoken about this before. We don't need to yeah. go through the whole story. But <laughs> no. I was about to say, if I'm not mistaken, afterwards when this issue was resolved that you're describing, uh, the person that you were talking about actually came up to you afterwards and said, you know what, I understand what you said. You're the professional and you did the right thing at the time. Yeah, I think that was it. And I think previously they had been using other drone operators that would do these types of shots. And actually, I think almost got into some difficult situations because of it. So in the end, we actually got repeat business uh, yeah. because we were very much like we didn't just say no. We actually I actually kind of explained why not, you know, why we couldn't go closer than 50 meters or why we couldn't go above 400 feet. And as soon as they realized why. They didn't just think I was being awkward. And I think, yeah, they suddenly thought, that's great. You know, thank you finally for someone telling us, you know, thank you for telling us why you can't do X, Y and Z. We, we didn't know that before. So, yeah, exactly. I think it really helps, doesn't it, too? Um, so that's uh, that's kind of, I think, the best way to handle uh, difficult customers um, whilst flying. Okay, then. So uh, there we go. That was uh, another episode of uh, FAQ. So hopefully some of those questions were useful and uh, hopefully you all learned something as well, which is the most important thing. Uh, so the final things to say really then is uh, if you've got any other questions for us uh, in the future, feel free to email dronecast at UAVHub. We'll uh, make sure we put them into the podcast. And like we've said before, if they can be a, a voice memo, it always just you know makes uh, everything feel a bit more interactive. So you don't just have to listen to me and Matthew talking all the time. We'll have a, another sort of a, you know voice on as well. Well. So yeah, send in a voice memo if you can of your question. That would be great. Um, if you haven't uh, subscribed already, then if you wouldn't mind doing so, that's uh, always a good idea too. That means then the podcast will drop into your inbox every uh, Wednesday morning um, as well. Uh, don't forget to leave a review as well and uh, tell a friend, as we've said before. If you've got friends who uh, enjoy what you enjoy as well about uh, drones and model aircraft flying, then uh, get them to have a quick listen and see if they're interested in this type of thing too, which is always good and always useful. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Matthew, it's it's been a, a pleasure as always thank you very much good to be here tom i think it's been a good episode hopefully people gain a lot more sort of insights into these elements that we've been talking about and i think i've learned one or two little details <laughs> as we've been chatting yeah. just thinking through these things and talking about them yeah. clarifies details so yeah it's been great exactly yeah no same for me as well it's uh, yeah it's funny isn't it <laughs> that's great so yeah the last thing i need to do then obviously is just uh, a farewell um as well and uh, yeah fly safe and blue skies everyone see you next week <laughs> <laughs>